ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today in our story of Job, the three older men kept trying to get Job to repent, and Job kept saying, I'm innocent. Finally, Job gets the last words in. Zophar didn't even try a third time to convince Job. The last sentence in chapter 31 says, The words of Job are ended. Then chapter 32 starts. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then... A fourth, quote-unquote, friend comes onto the scene, Elihu. It is interesting that he is not mentioned in the beginning of the story, and this is probably because he was a young man and therefore was, quote, insignificant to the story. In this era, the older men were of honor and recognition. We don't know how young Elihu was, But we know in verse 6, Elihu says that the other men are very old. They are ancient. But the respectful thing to do was to allow the older people to speak and the younger people to listen and learn. In verses 2 through 5 of chapter 32 of Job, we learn some more things about Elihu. He was angry. Actually, the word for anger is used four times in these four verses. First, it just says his anger was kindled, verse 2. Then his anger was kindled against Job because Job justified himself instead of God, verse 2. Number three, his anger was kindled against his three friends because they didn't come up with an answer and yet they had condemned Job, verse 3. And then the fourth time the word anger is used is in verse 5. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouths of these men, his anger was kindled. Remember when the writers of Hebrews want to make a point, they repeat a word. So Elihu's anger is getting hotter and hotter as he heard this conversation with the men. He expected to hear wisdom and he thinks he didn't get any. No answer, no conclusions were found. So now Elihu jumps into the conversation. He begins by saying that wisdom is not necessarily tied to age, but it is the breath of the Almighty that gives understanding. Chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. That makes me think of a New Testament passage when Paul writes to Timothy and tells him to not allow anyone to despise his youth. But be an example in word, love, spirit, faith, and purity. So Elihu is correct here. It doesn't matter what your age is. But the anger is an issue. Also in the New Testament, James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20, it says, Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
and slow to anger. For the anger of man and woman does not produce the righteousness of God. Elihu described himself as a new wine that is about to burst. Chapter 32, verse 19. He goes on and tells Job to listen to his knowledge. Chapter 33, verse 3. He tells Job that he is not right in his complaints because God is greater than man and God does speak to man, but we may not realize it. Then Elihu tells Job he will teach him wisdom. Chapter 33, verse 33. Elihu sticks up for God and says, Far be it that God should do wickedness or that the Almighty would commit iniquity. Chapter 34, verse 10. Nor will the Almighty pervert judgment. He then asks Job, Will you condemn him that is most just? Chapter 34, verse 17. And at the end of chapter 34, he says, Job has spoken without knowledge, and his words are without wisdom. My desire is that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answers for wicked men. I assume that's his three friends. Because Job added rebellion unto his sin and multiplied his words against God. And Elihu did not even stop there. He accused Job of saying that his righteousness is more than God's. Chapter 35 verse 1. Then Elihu goes into the greatness of God's creation. Look at the heavens and the clouds. Chapter 35 verse 5. God teaches us. Verse 11. And then he goes on to speak on God's behalf. Chapter 36 verse 1. He says that God is mighty in strength and in wisdom. And God disciplines. And he is able to judge and to deliver rightly. Verse 26 of chapter 36, Behold, God is great, and we know him not, neither can we number his years. Chapter 37, Elihu continues and says that God thunders marvelously with his voice. God does great things that we can't comprehend. Verse 5, God is sovereign over creation. Verse 14, Elihu tells Job to listen to this, stand still, and consider the wondrous works of God. He ends by saying that the Almighty is beyond touching. He is excellent in power, excellent in judgment, excellent in plenty of justice, and he will not afflict. Therefore, men fear him, and he does not respect any that are wise at heart. The first time I read through all of Job, I was a teenager. I had two thoughts that I remember even today. Number one, Job seems like he does an awful lot of complaining for someone who is described as Job the patient one, James chapter 5 verse 11. And my second was, all right, Elihu, preach it, brother. I remember hearing a sermon once from an older preacher and he put down Elihu as a disrespectful young man and I thought this preacher was so wrong. What is funny to me is that reading it all the way through as a middle-aged woman, 
And by the way, I am definitely not in that ancient category yet. I find some truth of what that pastor was saying. For instance, Elihu also has that know-it-all kind of attitude, just like Job and all three of his friends. He also is still a bit judgy of Job as if he had sinned against God. He did speak out of anger to all of the men instead of being a comfort. And it seems that anger guided his words instead of love. But he's not all bad. For instance, if he were all bad, God would rebuke him at the end of the book. But once again, he's not mentioned at all in the epilogue. His point about wisdom not being about age, but about a relationship with God was correct. He also shared that suffering is a form of divine discipline, which Eliphaz had also mentioned. One thing he did do that the other men did not was lift up God and his attributes and basically told Job to not blame God for your mess because God is higher than you are. The problem is, even Elihu's viewpoint doesn't answer the problem either. He still hints that it's Job's fault that he's in this mess. Just don't blame God for it, that's all. But what his comments did do was set up Job to hear directly from God, and that we will talk about tomorrow. The thing is, ladies, major changes in one's life take time to adjust. And Job was bombarded. Everything he had was taken away. All ten of his children died. And then sickness to boot. There is a life change index scale, which is a stress test with point values to many life-changing events, like marriage is 100 points. And if you have over 300 points, you are at high risk. Just tallying all 10 of Job's kids dying, he'd be at 630. Then at his health, his job, and his house all being devastated, he'd be at least 760. No wonder Job was a mess. When we look at Job's complaining in the light of the stages of grief, No wonder Job sat in silence for a week. We can call it shock, maybe even a bit of denial thrown in. We can see bits of anger. We see that he wants to bargain with God. He hates his life, depression. In the midst of his complaints, we also see him testing God. It's also said that these stages come and go and do not have to go in any particular order. Grieving takes time, and it did not help that his friends blamed him for these tragedies. One thing we didn't pay much attention to was how these tragedies happened. First, adversaries came from other lands and invaded. Sometimes our enemies hurt us. Second, the wind came and tore down the house, killing Job's kids. Sometimes natural disasters hurt us. The third, fire came down from heaven. Sometimes it seems that God hurts us. And then Job's friends blame and condemn him. Sometimes our friends forsake us and hurt us too. 
and that seems the hardest to handle. All of this happened to Jesus. His enemies hurt him, the Jewish leaders. His friends left him, the disciples. The Romans beat him, mocked him, cursed him by hanging him on a tree. He cried out to God, Why have you forsaken me? God turned his face away. The sky went dark and the earth shook. But he didn't stay down. Three days later, he arose. And because of that, ladies, because of that, we have hope. No matter how dark the days get, we have hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, and by the way, this is the same book I read from yesterday about the God of all comfort. Well, now in chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, it says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Job's world was shaken to the ground. It's transient. But because of Jesus, there is hope for an eternal home. So make sure you tune in tomorrow and hear what God now says to Job. He's on his way to the last step of grief, which is acceptance. So today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. Instead, let's be women who pray and obey. Until next time. And thanks so much for listening.